0: Father God, I need more. Our church needs more. My family needs more. I want more. I want more hope, more joy, more peace, more love. I want the fullness of life that Jesus offers. Father, saturate my soul with your spirit so that I overflow with Jesus. I want more. But I confess I'm full of everything but Jesus. I've loaded my mind with so much noise that it's weary and worried. I've heaped stuff upon my soul that's left little space for the spirit who truly satisfies. I filled my time with my own agenda. I'm full, but it's not you. Something has to go. I'm bringing you everything, not you, that fills me up. I open my hands in a posture of surrender, empty me. The noise, the distractions, the clutter, the fears, my attempts to control, my bitterness, my wounds, the burdens I've tried to carry on my own, my attempts to control, my stuff, even me. Empty me of me. With open hands, I surrender everything, not you. Empty me so you can fill me with joy and peace that overflows in hope. Empty me so you can saturate my soul with your spirit. Empty me so I can abound with the life coming from your hand. Fill us so full that we can't help but overflow with Jesus. Fill our families with your presence. Fill our neighborhoods with your love. Fill our valleys with the knowledge of your glory. Fill us so full that we can't help but overflow with Jesus. Amen. Hey, welcome to Calvary. We are in the midst of a 50-day journey of making space for God. 50 days of less for more. We're looking at some what we've called emptying practices, spiritual disciplines that make space in our lives for God. We've looked at surrender, slowing down, silence, and solitude. Today it's simplicity. Now, there are probably better definitions of simplicity, the practice of simplicity, but let me start here. Simplicity is the practice of unstuffing our hearts. So let's talk about stuff. And Before I launch into our stuff, let me just be honest. I I like nice stuff. My heart has at times been stuffed with stuff. In fact, let me tell you about one of my first experiences with nice stuff. It was decades ago, Lynn and I were going to a conference in Rochester, Minnesota. I'd been a pastor for about two years, so it's going back a ways. I was making a bit more than $17,000 a year full-time. I'd registered late, so... The conference hotel only had single beds available, not, not very thrilling. So I found a nearby Radisson Hotel and I sent Lynn in because we had the standing rule at that time that whenever we stayed at a hotel, Lynn always checked us in because, I don't know, it just seemed like hotel people like Lynn, on an occasion, we, we, we've gotten more room than we deserve. So she came back out and said, okay, our room is number 1009. I'll take the kids up, you park the car and bring our stuff up. I'm thinking, how can I pass up on that deal? So I parked the car and I lumbered into the lobby with stuff hanging from every appendage I could find because, of course, we were staying overnight, and and there was stuff we couldn't do without. I found the elevator, deposited my stuff, and hit the button for floor 10, but nothing happened wouldn't go up. I kept pushing, wouldn't go up, wouldn't go up. And and then, and then I saw this little sign that said Plaza Club, floors 10 and 11. Now, I had no idea at that time what a Plaza Club was, but I was pretty sure that room 1009 was on floor 10. So I pushed the button for 9 and went and found the stairs and walked up the stairs with all that luggage to find the door on floor 10 was locked. And so I had this Shame filled gut bomb voice in my head saying, Uh huh, you can't go there. You're not good enough. Lynn's good enough. She got your kids in, but not you. You're not good enough. And so I I walked back down to the ninth floor, no choice but to go back down to the lower levels and hope that Lynn would notice notice that I wasn't there. I stepped into the elevator and this guy in a uniform looked at me and said, You're Dan? I nodded and He took out this golden key, put it in a golden keyhole, hit the button for 10, and and up we went. I don't know. I think his name was Gabriel or maybe St. Pete because I walked to 1009 and I opened the door to this incredible room like the one I know Jesus went to heaven to prepare for me because the Plaza Club floors were the very private, luxurious concierge floors. Now, I know it was just a Radisson, but it was my first taste of nice hotel stuff and it was so good. I remember I went to the club lounge late at night to work on my sermon, but I couldn't find the coffee. And so I asked the concierge, don't, don't you have any coffee left? And he smiled and said, no, he smiled <laughs> and said, no, but please let me make you a pot. That's the stuff that speaks to my heart. But here, here's the best part. The best part was riding the elevator when others were already on and I'd pull out my gold key that no one else had and hit the floor for 10 and hope that everyone on the elevator thought that I was somebody. See, if I'm not careful, I don't know about you, but if I'm not careful, that's the stuff that stuffs my heart, what others think of me. The stuff I like is the stuff that gives me status. How about you? You know, there, there are so many questions that we can ask about stuff. How much stuff do I need? Where am I going to put all my stuff? What stuff can I get rid of? Anybody want my stuff? Where can I get better stuff for less? How much stuff can I stuff till I'm stuffed? But here are the questions that I just can't escape. Does my stuff actually bring me life? Joy. If I die with the most stuff, what do I win? And if my heart is stuffed with stuff, do, do I have space for God? Now, Jesus put it this way. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, when we talk about the practice of simplicity, if we aren't careful, we can easily start thinking that it's just the clutter I have out here, when really, it's all about my heart. R- Richard Foster put it this way, a better definition of simplicity. He said, the d- discipline of simplicity is an inward reality that results in an outward life of joyful, unconcern for possessions an inward reality that results in an outward life of joyful unconcern for possessions. Jesus put it this way in Matthew six nineteen through 21 He said, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, this vitally profound statement that Jesus made has wrestled its way into my heart over the years. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. My my heart will follow my treasure. It's not the other way around. We tend to think where I put my treasure, my heart will, my, where, where I put my heart, my treasure will follow. Jesus said, no, your, your heart will follow your treasure. This is as true as the truth that Jesus died for my sin and rose from the dead. It is foundational where your treasure is, your heart will follow. So where's your heart? How's your heart? Well, one of my favorite Proverbs is Proverb 4.23, where the, the wisdom writer writes, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. But here's the truth about our hearts. Our hearts go where our treasure leads. For where your treasure is, Jesus said, there your heart will be also. Now, see, it's, it's all about our hearts. God cares so much about your heart. It's not about what he can get from us, but what he wants to give to us, a, a place for our hearts in his hands. When Jesus said, where I put my treasure, my heart will follow, it, what he's really saying is there, there's a place for your heart in his hands. So, so here's my question. Ask yourself, what if my heart is made for heaven, but it's stuffed full of earth? See, if my heart is made for heaven, sooner or later, a lack of heaven will cause my heart to shrivel up. If my heart is made for heaven, stuffing it full of earth will not bring me life. If my heart is made for heaven, then it really matters where I put my treasure. Don't store up treasures on earth, Jesus said, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and still it was, it was decades ago, but I'll never forget the Summerlin and I spent a few days in Newport, Rhode Island. While we were there, we went through one of those Newport mansions. If if you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. And and Cornelius Vanderbilt's summer cottage was the mansion that we went through. I mean, hundreds of the world's finest craftsmen worked tirelessly for two years to complete their 70-room summer cottage. And the Vanderbilts were stuffaholics. My goodness. Hand-carved ceilings imported from across the ocean. Library walls with walnut paneling and gold embossed leather. Two 12-foot backrack crystal chandeliers. Hot and cold salt water piped in from the ocean into one-ton marble tubs for salt water baths. Some of the all-time greatest works of art. And this was just their summer stuff. 138,000 square feet for their summer stuff. Cornelius died four years after the house was built, and you know what? He left all his stuff behind, and now people by the thousands walk through his house, and they shake their heads and say, wow, he sure had a lot of stuff. And and let's be honest, so do we. I mean, my stuff might not cost as much, might not be as nice as his stuff, but we have a lot of stuff. You know, in 1950, the average house was 900 square feet. In 2021, it was 2,500 square feet. Why did our houses get so much bigger? It's not because we have more kids. It's because we have more stuff. And then we added three-car garages, which are as big as our homes were in 1950, so that we could store all the stuff that we don't want to see all the time. And when those got full, we built 53,000 storage facilities with 2 billion square feet of rentable storage space. Folks, we we have a stuff problem. We've, We've bought into the myth of more. If I just had a little bit more, then I, I might be happy. I might be content. But, but the real question always, all the way along the journey is, where's my heart? How do I unstuff my heart? And that leads us to the, the practice of simplicity. How do we practice simplicity in, in our lives? Well, let me go back to Matthew 6.21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, simplicity starts in your heart. It's that inward reality. My heart follows my treasure, that's the outward reality. Now, it's not all that complicated. When Jesus talks about treasures, he's talking about anything that can be exchanged for or invested in what we care about. A, a great example is just simply time and money. If you say to me, what I care about is my kids, then I would say, let me see your day timer and your checkbook for where you put your time and your money, your heart will follow. If you want a greater heart for the world, start giving to our 1% offering. Go on a a short-term mission trip. If you're wondering why someone is so passionate about what God is doing at Calvary, you'll find that they have invested some of their treasures in and through Calvary. Your heart won't land in your neighborhood until your treasures land with your neighbors. Where your treasure is, your heart will follow. So practice generosity. Generosity. You know, last year, man, I'm, I'm so, so glad to be a part of the Calvary family. Last year, you were so generous. You realize that last year, I don't know, somewhere around 25% of everything that was given to Calvary left Calvary to help others. It, it went outside of our four walls. Mission works in Myanmar and Rwanda and, and the Dominican Republic and France. You help local nonprofits and individuals in need and You served refugees from Afghanistan and Ukraine. 240,000 meals were packed for hungry people around the world. You've given food and and an education and hope to hundreds of kids in Myanmar. $300,000 given to our 1% fund this year. Churches were started and pastors were encouraged. We were storing up treasures in heaven. But you know what really is stirring up My heart today, it's not so much the thoughts of all that has been done or even all that could be done if we just gave more. What's stirring up my heart is the the possibility that God is stirring up a willingness in us, stirring up a passion in us to put our hearts in his hands. Because you see, ultimately, God's not looking for donors. He's passionately seeking your heart. And, And when we give, we're putting our hearts in his hands. So don't leave these verses in Matthew 6 without hearing the main message, the main message. Too often we stop at the part that says we should put our treasures in secure places where bugs and thieves won't create loss, as though Jesus is simply concerned with the security of our financial future when when his passion has always been, always is, always will be our hearts. Do you hear the heart of Jesus' message? He's saying that heaven is the best home for your heart. Just like thieves, moths, and rust can diminish our treasure here on earth, if we place our hearts anywhere but heaven, sooner or later, our hearts will be diminished. Now, Randy Alcorn, in his book, The Treasure Principle, calls this the treasure principle. He says, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Paul is describing the treasure principle in First Timothy six seventeen through nineteen when he says, "Tell those who are rich in this world's wealth to quit being so full of themselves and so obsessed with money, which is here today and gone tomorrow. Tell them to go after God, who piles on all the riches we could ever manage. Tell them to do good, to be rich in helping others, to be extravagantly generous. If they do that, they'll build a treasury that will last." Gaining life that is truly life. And when Jesus and Paul talk about generosity, they're, they're not saying don't be concerned about your own gain. They're saying when it comes to gaining more life, it actually starts with having less stuff. Generosity is like, like buying shares of heaven. If you want to practice simplicity, it starts with Generosity. Now, another step is found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 through 24. Jesus says, your eye is a lamp for your body. A pure eye lets sunshine into your soul, but an evil eye shuts out the light and plunges you into darkness. How deep that darkness will be. If the light you have you think is really darkness, how deep that darkness will be. No one, he says, can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Your eye is a lamp for your body. A pure eye lets sunshine into your soul. An evil eye brings darkness. Now what in the world does that mean? Well, I I think it's as simple as this truth. We become What we behold. In his book, The Relentless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer says that attention is the doorway to the heart. So, what is it that gets my attention? What what am I beholding? When stuff holds my gaze, even my light is darkness. And where I look, where I gaze, where I keep looking, where I pay attention is who I serve. You know, when I I read the Bible and I I ponder life, our lived experience, I can't help but wonder if there's ever been a greater destroyer of hearts than stuff, the the love of money. Jesus called it mammon, not just money, but but this desire for more money and stuff. And and, and Jesus actually suggests that it's a major spiritual force, an idol, opposed to the heart of God. We cannot love, serve, or worship both God and money. Millard Fuller, who's the founder of Habitat for Humanity, He became a millionaire by the time he was 29. He bought his wife all the stuff she could ever want. But one day he came home to find a note telling him that she was leaving. Miller chased after, caught up with her in a New York City hotel, and and they just talked. They talked until the early morning hours on Sunday morning. She she just poured out her heart, sharing that, that all this stuff that our culture says is uh, supposed to satisfy our souls, uh, it, it had really drained life from her heart. Her soul was not satisfied. She, she said she felt dead inside, and she wanted to live again. So the two of them knelt at their bedside in that hotel room, and Millard and Linda decided to sell everything they had and dedicate themselves to serving people who are disadvantaged, people in the margins, and, and to work for justice for the oppressed. A few hours later, they found the nearest church, and they just went there to thank God for their new beginning. They they got to the church early, they found the pastor, and they told him what had happened to them and the radical decision they'd made. And to their surprise, he tried to talk them out of it. He, he told them that that kind of radical decision was not really necessary. He told us, they wrote, that it was not necessary to give up everything, but he just didn't understand. They wrote that we weren't giving up money and the things that money could buy. We were giving up a way of life that was killing us. So in a New York City hotel room, the Fullers found that their hearts were made for heaven. They found a way of gaining more life. So if I I want to practice simplicity, perhaps I might also start emptying stuff. Now listen, there's, there's no simplicity code there's no one size fits all guide to stuff for life it it might look differently for you than it does for me it's not the same for our friends in Myanmar as it is for us but some of the questions are the same is my stuff distracting me from life do I have more stuff than I can use which describes my life contentment or a nagging desire for more? Do I have more clothes than I can wear? More cars than I can drive? Or, or more house than I can clean? Is my stuff serving me? Or am I serving my stuff? Listen, we can't serve both God and stuff. You can't love God and money. There is no both and option. It's either or. If I think about stuff and the stuff I don't have more than I, I think about Jesus, it might be time to start emptying some stuff. But that's not easy, Right? Because it's easy to worry that if we don't have more stuff, we'll have less life. I mean, that's th- those are the messages we get from the world all the time. If we don't have more stuff, we'll have less life. Now, listen to Jesus' response to that that worry in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 30. He said, so I tell you, don't worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink and, and clothes. Don't Doesn't life consist of more than food and clothing? Look at the birds, he said, they... They don't need to plant or harvest or put food in barns because your heavenly Father feeds them and you are far more valuable to him than they are. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Of course not, Jesus said. And why worry about your clothes? Look at the lilies and how they grow. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers, won't he more surely care for you? You have so little faith, Jesus said. And see, there's that inside-outside relationship again. Remember Foster's word, simplicity is an inward reality that results in an outward life of joyful, unconcern for for stuff. In other words, cluttered lives come from worried hearts. And, And in the end, the practice of simplicity is really a statement of faith. Now we need faith in God's ability to provide, but we also need faith in Jesus' declaration that life is more than our stuff. And man, that's hard. I mean, no matter who we are, how old or how young, I mean, what's the second word that every baby learns? The one right after Dada. It's it's mine. <laughs> We see stuff and we want stuff, so we buy stuff. We buy it on credit usually because we, we tend to want more stuff than we can afford. And if it's really good stuff like a cool smartphone, we might buy insurance so that if our stuff breaks, we can immediately get new stuff because we're just not quite convinced that we'll find more life without more stuff. And, and so our hearts get stuffed and we become what we behold, See, we, we need to change the narrative. We need to change the stories we keep telling ourselves. We need to quit listening to the stories we hear and see and read on social media that, that more is better, that more is better, that less is losing. See, we're, we're being discipled by the constant drip of the consumerism of the world that says that really greed is good, that having more, even to the detriment of somebody else, a neighbor, even around the world. That's not greedy. It's just gaining life. It's just doing the best that I can with what I have. And 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 really, the reality is, life is more than stuff. John Balog sent me a synopsis of a book this week entitled "The Good Life." Since 1938, Harvard University has been investigating what brings the good life for 85 years. They track the same people and their descendants. It's the longest, most intensive study of its kind. Hundreds and hundreds of participants, over 1,300 descendants, thousands of questions. Every measurement that you can begin to imagine to discover what leads to the good life. One crucial factor stood out. Not money or achievements, not even eating healthy, One crucial factor stood out. If you were to take all 85 years of the Harvard study and boil it down to one principle, one choice, a single decision that most consistently led to the good life, it's simply good relationships keep us happier. Period. End of story. Not money, not achievements, not even a healthy diet and exercise. In other words, Krispy Kreme donuts with friends in a shack is better than eating broccoli all alone in a mansion. Which leads to simplicity's goal because it's 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 not just about getting rid of our stuff it's not even just about storing up our treasures in heaven it's unstuffing our hearts so that we have more space for relationships first with god but also with others uh, let me go back to paul's words on simplicity 1 timothy 6 17 through 19 remember he says tell those who are rich in this world's wealth And listen to me, compared to the global economy, that's all of us. That's all of us. Tell those who are rich in this world's wealth to quit being so full of themselves, so obsessed with money. Tell them to go after God who piles on all the riches we could ever manage, to do good, to be rich in helping others, to be extravagantly generous. If they do that, they'll build a treasury that will last, gaining life That is truly life. See, we're gaining life. This is what we're talking about. Gaining life by having less and giving more. One of my favorite simplicity stories is Sonia's story. Sonia lived behind the Iron Curtain when there was one. She was a Christ follower in a time when being a Christ follower could lead you to prison. She was a, a generous person in a place where people had so little. She was someone who knew from experience that she could trust God when he led her to have less and give more. Someone once asked her, how is it that you see so many people come to Christ when when you can't speak openly about Jesus? I, I've never thought about that, she said, but let me tell you a story. My little boy and I were going through the checkout stand in the grocery store, and, and as we left, we saw a mother and her children on the outside of the store with their noses pressed against the window looking in. They were obviously people... In, in need, struck by poverty. She said, I, I don't know, I just I felt compelled as I walked past her to hand her my two sacks of groceries, even though I didn't know her. She was, of course, very grateful, and, and the Lord impressed upon me to start praying for her, so I, I started praying for her. I, I saw her later, and I, and I followed her home so that I, I knew where she lived. As I continued to pray for her, the Lord impressed upon me at some point to take her a pair of shoes. I didn't know what size she wore, but I figured God did. And so I bought her a pair of shoes and took them to her. She invited me in and she introduced me to her two kids. Later, Sonia said, God impressed upon me to take over two sweaters. So so I did. It seemed reasonable. School was starting. So I, I took them over for her kids and, and we talked more. Now, Sonia wasn't wealthy, even by iron curtain standards. But when God stirred up her heart, God provided, and she gave. One time it was a couple of hankies. Uh, Another day, God put women's underwear on her mind. She thought about that one a little bit longer, but finally she went over with a bag of underwear. The lady opened the bag, looked in, and was immediately elated, but just as quickly was kind of disturbed, almost angry. She said, have you been listening? How are you listening in on my husband and I? Sonya said, what are you talking about? She said, well, how do you know exactly what we need when we need it? Sonya said, God, God tells me. The woman said, he, he must. Months ago, I was standing in the mud waiting for the bus to come. When it came, I stepped up into the bus, but I, I lost one of my shoes in the mud. It's the only pair of shoes I own. I went home to my alcoholic husband and told him what happened. He physically abused me and said, if I was dumb enough... To lose my shoe, I could go without it. Knock, knock. You showed up that afternoon with shoes. A few weeks later, school was starting. It was getting cold. I said, dear, our kids have worn out patched clothes. Could we get them new sweaters? He said, no way. Knock, knock. You stood there with two sweaters. My kids caught a cold. It wasn't really that big a deal, but I just said, dear, it'd be better if they had a hanky. Could I just run down to the store and get them one? He said, absolutely not. Knock. Knock. Knock, you showed up with a hankies. I came home this morning from a job interview. I, I told my husband, honey, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is I think I found a job. The bad news is I need a medical exam. Couldn't I please get some new underwear? And he said, no way. Another knock. And here you are again. I don't know, do you suppose Sonia would ever give up that moment for more stuff? She's going hard after God, and he's piling on rich moments after rich moments. Do you think that experience increased her trust in God and changed her narrative, changed the stories that she kept telling herself, rich and helping others, gaining life that is truly life? I wonder if she would agree that sometimes less actually leads to more. Back in December, I was I was talking to Brian. He's new somewhat new at Calvary, maybe he would even say a bit new to faith. He but he he gets he just kinda gets that whole FYM front yard missionary thing. At some point, I was talking to him back in December. At some point in the conversation, he stopped and he said, Hey, I'm, I'm a bit concerned that I'm kind of annoying the Calvary Kids leaders because I, I keep bringing them more and more kids. And he, he told me how he's bringing kids from his neighborhood to Calvary. And he said, But is that okay? And I said, Yeah, Brian, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's okay. And then last week, he sent me an email Said, I've really been bonding with those kids now. We actually had a sea wow moment in the mo- mountains this week. I took all of the kids who I normally bring to church up to the fire tower in Rothrock. And we made a campfire and we had some food. And the next thing you know, there's a bunch of, of Penn State students from an outing club. They showed up and they huddled around the fire with us. And they started asking questions. And so we explained to them that we go to Calvary Church, but today is our day of church without walls. And And it turned into this conversation about church. We bonded over a flame, he said, a glorified candle, if you will. And this is the part I love. He said, after they left, my daughter Kennedy's eyes lit up. She She looked at me, she was so excited. She told me, we just did what Pastor Dan told us to do in the community. So she gets it. You know what, give me 100 Jesus conversations around glorified candles, and we'll change the world. Let me ask you, how much stuff would you trade for moments like that? Sometimes in order to get to the mountaintop of more, we need to go through the valley of less. So what now? (laughs) I don't know, maybe you, you go on a generosity adventure like Sonia. For the next few months, be more generous. Obey the prompts of God. Be more generous than you ever thought possible. Value people over stuff. Maybe maybe you should sign up and go to our Financial Peace University and, and begin to discipline your st- spending and figure out what you can get rid of. Start simplifying your life. Get rid of some stuff. Start with your stuff, not your spouses or your kids. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you that you care so deeply about our hearts. God, thank you that you pile on more riches than we could imagine if, if we choose to be extravagantly generous, if, if, we, if, if we seek to be rich in good works. God, we, we have so much stuff. The, the Church of America has so much stuff I pray for each and every one of us that you'd lead us on a very practical journey of unstuffing our hearts to make more space for you. God, thank you for those moments of generosity that we've had where, where something clicks and we just know that we know that, that we just expanded our capacity for you. Thank you for those moments where we've made a difference in somebody else's life through, through the stuff that you've given us to steward. But God, we want more of you. Unstuff our hearts and fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.